you weren't here with us last week, we talked about time and how we schedule our time. And the goal is not that I get everything done on my list. It's that I honor God with the time that he's given me. We look specifically at Jesus. Hey, how would God live his time here on this earth? I think that's a cell phone. Is what that, that's my guess is what that, that sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Um, how did Jesus spend his time? Because at the end of his life, he prayed to God in, in John 17 and said, I finished the work you gave me to do. And we were like, wait, you still had more work to do. There was still more people to heal. heal. And, and, you know, it wasn't that he got everything done on the list. He honored God with the time that he had given us. And so in our culture, we tend to add, 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 when the Bible says prioritize, prioritize, prioritize. And so we are going to be diving into uh, relationships. How can we create some breathing room in our relationships that... Um, are, are stressed or strained, and it may be due to time, it may be due to finances, it may be due to different things, but if we can create some breathing room in our relationships, um, God can do some, some, some powerful work. Today we're going to be talking specifically about marriage, but really this is the principles we're going to learn. Uh, this is going to help you in, in, in parenting if you're, if you're single, if you're in a co-working relationship. Uh, it's, it's just how, how to build better relationships, but specifically we're going to be talking about marriage. And um, just to give you a little bit of vision of how I'd like to do things, I'd like to be able to eventually in this room with our adults talk about some, uh, I would say, more serious topics, a little bit more intimate topics, uh, have a place for our kids to, to go where we can handle business here. Um, and so I'm going to reference things tonight. Today is maybe like watching the Olympics or something like that, and you can just kind of pick up on some of that as well. But I want this. I want to, when we talk about relationships, when we talk about marriage, I want to be able to talk real talk. And the Bible talks real talk. And so uh, as we dive into things, um, we got to look at the first marriage. What was the first relationship? Like, in order to understand what is marriage intended to be, what am I shooting for? What's the goal? We've got to go back to the, to the foundation. So, if you have your Bible with you, uh, it's going to be on the screen as well. Genesis chapter 2 is where we are going to pick up today. And as we talk about marriage, and this today, we're going to be just scratching the surface, but I'm hoping we have many times together where we get to talk about marriage, so we're not going to try to pack it all into one. This is just going to be scratching the surface on where we need to go. But I just pray that God would speak to you guys uh, today as he's been speaking to me and prepping this message. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. And one of our core values at Freedom Church is that you can't do life alone. This doesn't mean you have to get married, but just God created us not to live in isolation, but to be in relationships. You can't do life alone. And so he said, I will make a helper who is just right for him. Skip on over to, to verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs, closed the, up the opening. Then the Lord God uh, made the woman from the rib. Further evidence that, ladies, you're just slightly more complicated 
than, than, than guys are. God created man and dust. God created woman. He performed the surgery, had to open the guy up, take a rib, close him up, and then there, there you go. I mean, you, some things seem important, and then you go and you find out it wasn't important at all. And then other things are not important, you think you're not important, and then you find out, oh my gosh, this was the most important Valentine's Day ever. <laughs> or you're driving in the car, and that could mean you're about ready to run over a small child, or I forgot my purse at the house. It's kind of complicated sometimes to figure things out. I'm just kidding. If you want to punch me in the face, that's... All right, keep going. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and she will be called woman because she had taken, was taken for a man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. This guys, was a good day for Adam. Can you imagine? Go to bed. You wake up. And then there she is. Birthday suit and all. Ready. That's a, I don't, we're in church. It's a good day. I mean, it only took one verse for them to go from this is woman to we are united into one. It's like, come on, let's go for a stroll in the garden. Grab a bite to eat. Once the animals are down for bed, we'll go watch the Olympics together. I, it was a good day. I, I just, we can name into that. It's okay. <laughs> Marriage is designed for you to be fully exposed emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, and praise God, physically, for us to be exposed. There was no shame in their exposure. And when you were born, every single one of you, when you were born, you had no shame in who you were. My boys are evidence of this right now. We had a two-year-old and a five-year-old, and if you come over, it is like whitey tidy land or less with these boys running around. And Charlie, he's in potty training right now, so the dude just runs around. Rita came in the other day, pulled into the driveway. He looked in the windows. Mommy! And then there's this little two-year-old naked butt just in the cold. 40 degrees just busting back to go say, no shame. There was no shame in who they were. The result in our relationship, specifically in our marriage, when, when we are fully um, exposed, when we open up to our emotions, when we open up to just spiritually opening up to our spouse. There brings an intimacy, a, a closeness, a security that deep down we all secretly really want to experience. But you've got to be vulnerable. There's a vulnerability there that takes a risk. And that same exposure that creates the intimacy that we, deep down those strong feelings that we all want in life, that same exposure is the same things that we will try to hide up. Hide because of shame. We don't want to expose too much. We feel guilty and we will experience less than what God intended for us. Um, let's just look at what they did. It, it, it took them 
one verse to start watching the Olympics. It took them six verses to screw it all up. In, in, in Genesis chapter 3, they start having a real marriage. <laughs> one that you and I can, can, can relate to. Sin enters the world. They eat the fruit that they were not supposed to eat. And in verse 7, it says, At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, at their exposure. There was shame there. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover. They started to hide. They started to cover. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid. They hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked, exposed. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Had you eaten from the tree whose, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman. Guys, horrible response in any situation, okay? It was that woman that you gave me, okay? That's just, I'm just going to tell you, free tip, that is not good. Learn it from Adam, but I learned it from myself as well. It was that woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And she says, it was that serpent. He deceived me, and that's why I ate it. We have these expectations of what marriage should be. Here's the ideal. Here's what it is for. Um, in, in, in church world, but we have it in movie world, we have it in our brains fantasized of what it is, of what marriage should be, what it should look like, what it should feel like. And then we get into marriage. And we often have these lofty expectations of what marriage should be. And then we get into marriage. It's like we woke up. We had breakfast. We both went to work. We came home. We were tired. Had a little small talk. Ate dinner. Watched some TV. Didn't really have a conversation. And then we both went to bed in our respective sides of the bed. Said goodnight. And we got up. And we do the same thing over and over and over again. And we get ourselves as like, well, we used to talk. But now we don't talk. It's just getting the kids gets around, our, 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 our conversations, we don't really connect. Watching the Olympics, I don't even know what the Olympics are anymore. And then we start to wonder, is this, is this how it's supposed to be? I mean, I look at their social media posts, and I hear their conversations, and I see that, and I want that, but I don't see that happening here. Is this what I signed up for? Maybe... Are they seeing someone else? Because I know they ain't seeing me. And we start to go into this idea of like, I, what, what am I shooting for? What, what's going on with my marriage? And we start to question. We start to bicker. We start to fight. We start to manipulate. We start to hide. And that's not how God designed our marriages to go. They were made to be fully exposed. Marriage encourages you to find yourself, to truly reveal who you are. Marriage is like a mirror. Marriage shows me, me. And sometimes these mirrors can be brutal. A second close to marriage is parenting. You see your kids, 
And they're running around, and all of a sudden you have that light bulb moment of like, oh, I hate this, but when I look at it, that's a little me running around there. (laughs) Marriage exposes you for who you are. And we have to wrestle with that rather rather than hide. In a way, marriage brings conflict into your life to make you better. It's like, we have this idea that marriage is supposed to make me happy. Right? You, it's supposed to make me happy. Ask a married couple. (laughs) No. It brings about a conflict that brings tension that when you deal with it well, I'm looking for my true love. If I could just find that, then I would be complete. Then I would be whole. And then we get into marriage and we see that we put them into a position that they were never meant to fill. The one you were looking for all along, you had a hole that you needed to fill. It was Jesus. God created a God-sized hole in you from the beginning that you were looking to be Uh, found complete, and it was him. When you put that on somebody else, specifically your spouse, it's like torture. You said, I need you to be God to me. And that's a bad position to be in as a spouse, and it's a bad position to put your spouse in. You complete me. I'm going to bring my wife up here to give a little bit of a, a visual explanation of what this load made. Uh, like, this is my beautiful wife, Rita, whom I love. Um, but just to give you a little bit of a picture, um, marriage sometimes when we're like this, and this you complete me, I need you, can kind of look like what we're going to call an A-frame marriage. It's maybe. I don't know. So, I don't have the yeah, cell phone. There we go. Alright, so, an A-frame marriage looks like this. We practice this. So we'll see. Uh, 
When we are got our arms stretched and we're in an A-frame type marriage, our our ability to stay upright completely centers on the other person. We are focused on each other. I am dependent on you to prop me up. She's dependent upon me to prop her up. And I'm I don't want to make her mad. Yeah. I don't want to do uh, her her feelings. So I will do everything to keep her happy. Um, I will say whatever's needed. I'll do whatever needs to keep her here. But what happens if she slips? What happens if she goes away? What if she gets mad? Something changes. I fall flat on my face here in this A-frame type marriage. That's not the marriage that God has. That will work for a while until things change. And, and God... Life has a way of changing. So, a better picture of what marriage is designed to be is what we would call an I-frame marriage. Where we are both two individuals on a firm footing ourselves. That God has created me uniquely to be me. God has created her uniquely to be her. And we can get a as far apart as we want in this relationship, in this I-frame marriage, but how close can we get in this I-frame marriage? We can get as close as we choose to be. In the... I kind of like this illustration. <laughs> in the A-frame marriage, how close can we get? We can, we can get close, but only as, as, as far as, as close as our, our outstretched arms will allow us to get. The I-frame marriage is two people on firm footing, being able to keep your balance and, and, in a way, have a firm foundation in who you are, who God created you to be. And through that, the two of us can come close together. Adam, before he ever met Eve, spent time with God. His completion was not based on Eve. Eve was a helper, but he spent time with God. He was complete before he ever met Eve. And Eve, it says God brought Eve to Adam. So same thing for Eve. She was with God before she ever met Adam. You you complete me? No. You are complete with God. This idea that, that I need Rita is a myth, but plenty of us buy into the myth. Now, as we dive into this, this is not, hey, she does her thing, I do my thing, and, you know, we're just kind of completely separate. No, there is a loving relationship, but I am not completely dependent upon her. So, how do we, how do we in an I-frame marriage gain our balance? How do we find a a, a, a sense of, of balance, rediscovering our individuality that I'm not dependent upon my spouse for my identity. How do we regain that? Well, one is going to be a solid sense of self. Again, as we've been saying, and as we saw in that scripture in Matthew chapter 7, my foundation is on the solid rock. My foundation is built upon a relationship with God where I put God first in my life. Life is kind of like a giant uh, cake. You can just picture a cake for a wedding. Okay? Uh, the cake has icing on it, which is great, but m- the majority of the cake is what? It's the actual cake. 
That's my life. Marriage is like the icing. It's an, definitely a very important piece of the cake, but it is not the cake. That foundation is built off a solid sense of self. My spouse doesn't completely complete me. Jesus completely. I live for an audience of one. We've got to get our foundation right if you're going to have a solid sense of self and start gaining some balance. Put your footing on a solid foundation. Second, I need to be able to calm myself. <clears throat> I need to be able to do a little bit of self-soothing. To, to, to say, hey, there's going to be some things. If I, if I stand up and say, hey, I, I want you to want me, but she doesn't respond how I want that's still going to hurt. But am I going to crash on that? Or do I have a firm foundation to say, I'm still good? I mentioned Charlie. He's potty training. Two years old. If he goes number one, he gets one piece of candy. If he goes number two, he gets two pieces of candy. All right? We're, we're, we're working with him. We're, we're doing okay. He's, he's doing good. But if he goes... And he does not get the candy, like he does his job, but does not get the candy. What do you think he does? As a two-year-old, he flips out, right? It's a, it's a, he knows, hey, I did my job, now you do your job and give me the candy. But we, as adults, sometimes act like sophisticated two-year-olds. I, I, I wash the dishes one day, and I did the laundry one day, and you thought that looked good, and you said, hey... You want to go watch the Olympics later? Let's earn a couple medals. And you're like, hey, I want to settle for a bronze, but all right, let's go. And then five years later, ten years later, fifteen years later, you're still, I washed the dishes. I did the laundry. I said, hey, let's, the Olympics are on, let's go. And she goes, eh, I'm going to bed. And what do we do? Uh, uh. I'm washing these dishes for 15 years. <laughs> Work. Watching kids. Cleaning. I was washing hard on these dishes. There's no, just, no, you know, no gratitude. No, they're not grateful. I mean, can they can see all this stuff. Never mind, we never say anything like this, but we just act like sophisticated people. You scratch my, I scratched your back. You're supposed to scratch my back. Hold me up. Hold me up. And all we we need to be able to self-soothe a little bit to say that hurt. I risked myself. I, I stood up, said this is what I wanted. You said no. I didn't like that, but am I going to fall on my face on that? Am I going to slam doors on that? Am I going to walk out on that? Am I going to yell at you? Call you? Oh, you're going to take that out? Well, then that extra money, that's mine. And we'll play this game back and forth back and forth the game of manipulation that we don't like to admit. But if we're honest, it's there. And it's probably not the way it's supposed to be. We need to be able to calm ourselves down. Another thing, don't flip out, okay? There may be a time where you need to respond. There may be that conflict. You know, I know myself, I like to avoid the conflict. But we tend to either, one, overreact. Some of you guys, you know, you're like, oh, I'm the overreactor. I would, I, it comes and I just say it and it goes. Or we underreact, which is be completely passive. Well, I'm thinking all these things, oh, man, I'm stewing on that, I'm stewing on that, I'm stewing on that. But we never really say what's going on. We need to be able to calm ourselves, but be able to, to, to respond in a grounded manner that doesn't overreact or underreact. And then the, the last thing to keep in your balance, keeping your balance, 
just to be able to, to take a little bit of discomfort, to withstand and tolerate a little bit of discomfort in order for the growth. That this is not a fun conversation to have. For me to be exposed, to be vulnerable, to share a little bit of my feelings, some of my emotions. I'm too proud. I don't want to go there. This is going to be hard stuff to talk about. But knowing in the end that that discomfort is not only going to grow me, it's going to grow her, and ultimately that's going to grow our relationship. You've got to be able to withstand and tolerate a little bit of discomfort in order to find growth. Solid sense of self. Soothe yourself. Calm yourself down. Grounded responses and being able to tolerate growth. A couple years ago, actually let me say this before I move on to that. It is your job. It is your job to be a better spouse. Period. It is not my spouse's job to make me better. It is mine. And so if you're sitting here saying, like, this is awesome. This is so good. My spouse so needs to grow up right now. I'm glad to come in. They are leaning on me, and I am propping this marriage up. They need to grow up. Yes. Thank you, praise Jesus. If that's you, I cannot help you. Your, your narcissism has reached a level that you need, you need to see a counselor for that. And in fact, I would go so far to say, if you are in that relationship, and, and you are the one thinking, oh, this is my spouse, you had better hope they don't, do not grow up and get a solid sense of self. Because they'll leave. And in fact, I, I just when, you, when that... When that Garage door opens when you get home from work. If you're that person, your your, your family runs. Right. We all have something, a next step to take. That's our mission in this church, Freedom Church. We help people take the next step in their relationship with Jesus together. So no one in here is perfect. And, and this talk is about you. So if you're in that mindset of, oh, good, I'm glad my spouse, I hope they hear this. And no, this is about you. This is about me. I need to get better. When you grow up, when you grow up, you release your spouse from the pressure of having to change for your benefit. Hey, you changed to help me out. No, when you grow up and get a solid sense of self and stand on your own two feet like a grown man or a grown woman, you release them of of the, the pressure of having to change. In fact, you free them up to be who God created them to be in the first place. And then secondly, I take charge of the only thing I can really control in any relationship, and that is myself. And really, you can't control yourself. That's dependent upon God working in you. You get that solid foundation. You say, okay, God, I'm yours. Whatever you need to change, and I'll, I'll make those changes. I met a gentleman a couple years ago at a summer camp. He's in his 50s or 60s. And it was kind of an, a, a, a strange relationship because I don't, I don't normally befriend 50, 60, 70-year-olds at a camp. I was like, hey, man, we connected, and we started sharing. And, and during the week, he shared with me, he said, Mike, been married for 30 years. This year was the hardest year of my marriage in 30 years. But, he said, it was by far the absolute best year of our marriage. said his wife, at the beginning of that year, had invited him to go to a marriage conference. He's like, no. No way. I don't want to go to a marriage conference. They're going to talk about stuff. I'm going to have to talk about that stuff. I'm going to open up and share. I hate this stuff. No. No way. I don't want to go. Well, he compromised and went. 
But he said for the first time in 30 years in his marriage, he got naked. He exposed emotionally and, and spiritually with his wife, and they connected like they had never connected before. His pride, he took his pride down to say, "I'm good. you want to connect? And we start. And they went through some hard junk. There was some forgiveness. There was tears. There was shame. There was regret. But they were able to withstand some discomfort, some tension, some hard conversations. And through all of that, he said, this was the best. This is how God designed He said it had changed their marriage. 30 years they'd been married. And it was not too late worth wanting. She has the option to say no. And that's scary. I think this is worth worth wanting, but I don't know. I can't make her want me. I can do things to manipulate the situation where she might choose me, but that's back to the A-frame marriage, and that's not what I want. I want to be genuinely chosen for who I am, and I cannot make that happen. There's risk when we expose our feelings and ourselves to our spouse, but that's where it's intended to go. Here's the, here's the truth you need to know for any relationship. You are already wanted. You are already wanted. You are already valued. God, before you were even born, knew your name. And he chose you long before you ever even knew about him or your spouse. Check out what he did after Adam and Eve did all they did. Check out what God did in, in, in chapter 3, verse 21. It says, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins, for Adam and his wife. He gave them clothing. Where did they get the clothing from? Animal skins. Where did the animal skins come from? A dead animal. Something was living, and something got, God pointing to Jesus from the very beginning, saying, I got this covered. Something's going to have to get sacrificed. Something's going to have to die to cover your sin, to cover your shame. And God did that. Jesus dove into the mess, into your shame, into your sin, into your regret. And he didn't say, hey, I'll scratch your back. If you scratch mine, you get cleaned up and then we got this thing on. No, he took care of it. He just took responsibility and he said, I got this. God chose you. He wants you. My foundation is on a relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. I was an enemy of Jesus. And he still died for me. Anyway, he built a being a foundation star, those guys are going crazy. I love, I love hearing those, those voices. It's so good. God fights for me, not with me. The gospel changes everything in my marriage. That's, that's what grace is. I'm going to fight for my marriage. I'm not going to fight with it. We are different. We are, in many ways, incompatible. I'm, but I'm different and incompatible from God. I'm not holy. I'm far, far from it. I'm not all-knowing. I'm not all-powerful. But yet he reconciles what seems irreconcilable. And because of that, I can bring that into my marriage. Hey, I know that God wants me. I know that God wants my spouse. And when you have two 
people in a relationship on firm footing, seeking after Jesus and living for Him, that's a that is a beautiful, powerful thing that God wants in our relationships. For us not to go back to what used to be. Oh, we can just connect like we used to. No, marriage is moving forward and taking that next step forward. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what struggles you may have with the full exposure or anything like that or where you may feel like, oh, I don't know if I can do this or whatever. I just want to encourage you. Breathe. Breathe. Find your footing in Christ. Create a little bit of separation here. Separation may actually prevent separation in your marriage. See what God's calling you to do and then actually take some of those next steps forward. Your spouse will appreciate it. Your kids will appreciate it. Your coworkers will appreciate it. To live that life that God has called you to live in your marriage. Let's pray.